Welcome to the Living Faith Fellowship Conference podcast. The Living Faith Fellowship is a peer network of like-minded churches united under a single biblical authority and one common mission. You're about to hear a message from one of the many conferences hosted by the Living Faith Fellowship every year. We pray it's a blessing. And so, Father, Lord, we come to you again just asking that, God, you would just have your way over our hearts and our lives. Lord, we don't want to assume that we can, we can come to your word and receive or even understand anything that you'd have for us in our ability or wisdom, and, and we just ask that you would take your word and through the power of the Holy Spirit that you'd speak to our hearts. God, we, we don't want to go through life having a form of godliness, but not living in the reality of our connection to the vine. We don't want to be guilty of playing Christian, playing church. We want to be fruitful. And so, Lord, I pray that tonight would fall out to just us having faith that, God, you've gifted us, you've entrusted the work to us, and that, and that Lord, uh, I mean, you reap where you haven't sown. And so, Lord, how can we miss? Lord, I pray that, that we get full of faith to engage in praying over the lost and approaching them with the gospel of Jesus Christ with the goal of, of seeing souls saved and, and making disciples who can be trained and deployed in the work of your kingdom and that you can use all of us to be a part of that. And so, Father, uh, help me. I pray that you'd just take the weakness of my flesh and, and uh, the, the, the attention deficits that you know I wrestle with and my stumbling lip. Lord, would you set all that aside? And just have your way uh, from your word over our lives tonight. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're in Matthew chapter 25. Matthew chapter 25. We're going to pick it up in verse 14. We're going to see a parable about some talents. And, um, and, the, and, and the first thing that I want us to recognize this morning as we read this story is that God gives his servants the goods. So that's your first blank. God gifts his servants. Matthew 25 verse 14 says, for the kingdom of heaven is as a man traveling into a far country who called his own servants and delivered unto them his goods. So what we're going to see tonight, and we're going to trust the Lord to get something, uh, get some insight for us as God's servants, but what we're going to see tonight is a parable on the kingdom of heaven. So doctrinally, we got to keep this straight. This is a Jewish, a parable that's in Jew, it's Jewish in focus, Jewish in focus. And so it has an end time warning concerning the second coming or the second advent of Christ. So we're talking about the second coming, the second advent, not, not the rapture of the church, but Christ's return to rule and reign. So I want to make it clear in Matthew chapter 25, doctrinally, we're not, we're not seeing the church in view here, but there's plenty of application, brothers and sisters. There's plenty of insight. There's plenty of motivation for us as stewards. See, this deals, this passage deals with the second advent of Christ, and so you're not going to get, I mean, you're not going to go to this passage and you're not going to get it to line up properly with the, with the church age doctrines, the church age doctrines of salvation by grace through faith in the finished work of Christ at Calvary alone, okay? Because in Matthew chapter 25, the right works are required. 
They are not optional. Okay, let's just skip down and read the end of the story. Let's uh, pick it up in verse 25. Here's the excuse for failure in the mission. I was afraid and went and hid thy talent in the earth. Lo, there thou hast that, thou hast that is thine. And the Lord answered and said unto him, Thou wicked and slothful servant, thou knewest that I reap where I sowed not, and gather where I have not strewed. Thou oughtest therefore to have put my money to the exchangers, and then at my coming I should have received mine own with usury, could have at least gotten interest on what I entrusted to you. Take therefore the talent from him, and give it unto him which hath ten talents. But he has ten. Well, yeah, he knows how to use them. Okay, just give it to him. Okay, bad day. No, this is the worst day ever. For unto everyone that hath shall be given, and he that, and he that shall have abundance, and, and he shall have abundance. But from him that hath not shall be taken away even that which he hath. And cast ye the unprofitable servant into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of, tree, uh, gnashing of teeth. So here's a worker for the Lord who did not overcome. He did not endure to the end. Uh, So bummer. He finds himself in outer darkness, the place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. Run your cross-references. Where's this cat? I mean, this dude gets sent to hell. Okay, so, so, so worst day ever for this guy. So at the end of it all, he's this guy who refuses to get full of faith and overcome He refuses his responsibility. He hides. He's like the dude that realized the prophecies were hitting the fans, so he grabbed his bug out bag, and he hid for three and a half years. And notice in this passage, God's not impressed. And so this is key, okay? I want us to get this. During the time of tribulation, the believer has to be an overcomer. Have you read the book of Revelation, right? The believer has to be an overcomer. They must be. Uh, Let me put it another way. The believer must endure to the end. Uh, During the time of tribulation, if you read about all of the, the, just the the horrible calamity that unfolds on earth, uh, for most people living during that time of of great tribulation, it'll be till, they'll endure to the end of their life. And as sure as anything, they cannot take the mark of the beast. I mean... There are ways to mess up, and then there are ways to mess up eternity, okay? They cannot take the mark of the beast, Revelation 14, verse 9. Hear this third angel saying with a loud voice, If any man worship the beast in his image and receive his mark in his forehead or in his, fa- or in his hand, the same shall drink, the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation. And he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment ascendeth up forever and ever. And they have no rest day or night, nor night, who worship the beast in his image and whosoever receiveth the mark of his name. Uh, so that believer during the end times, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a time of Jacob's trouble. It's a time of Jewish focus, preparing Israel to receive her Messiah. Anyone who takes the mark of the beast, do not pass, go, go straight to hell. So in this this study, what I want us to see is that there's no commendation for the believer that's hiding out to the end. 
Now, if we go back a chapter in Matthew chapter 24, okay, um, let's pick it up in Matthew 24. Let's pick it up in verse 15. And again, uh, Paul hasn't revealed the mystery <laughs> of the church, right? Uh, there's the, the church is, the, the, we're, we're talking about the time of Jacob's trouble. Uh, God is talking to the Jewish believer here. And what does he say? When ye therefore shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, stand in the holy place, whoso readeth, let him understand. Then let them which be in Judea flee into the mountains. And what we find out in Revelation chapter 12 is this will be the place of there, there, there is an instruction to bug out to the Jewish believer, the Judean believer. You head for the hills to the Judean wilderness because, uh, the, I mean, Satan's going to try to wipe out the Jewish people. I mean, he, he's going to try to take out every last strand of DNA, okay? That's going to be his objective. And there's a supernatural protection that takes place in the Judean wilderness, in these Judean mountains. And, and you'll read about that in Revelation chapter 12. But there's no condemnation here in this parable for the believer hiding out, just, just, just taking his responsibility and just burying it, bugging out and burying it, hiding out to the end. Now, this Jewish believer in Judea, they see the abomination of desolation. They say, okay, and, and there, I, you know, I read, I mean, you just keep reading in Matthew 24. They're not even grabbing bug out bags. I mean, they're just going and there's supernatural protection for them. They woke up, they smelled the, pro the prophecy percolating. So they got busy. So it's not written, right? We're, this is not focused on the believer today in Montana. By the way, for the people that think that this, this prof, you know, the, 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 this would be aimed at them, the believer today. I mean, I wonder what the, the bug out plan is to get to the Judean wilderness from Georgia. I wonder, I wonder what that is. And are you going to make your flights? I mean, I just, I just wonder, okay? So there goes the plans for the typical post-tribulation -tribulation rapture believer. I got 40 acres, right? I got 20 acres. I got five acres in the middle of nowhere and a plan to be so, so far off grid. The Antichrist won't even care about me. Man, rethink that. Rethink that. Don't waste your time and energy today over something you can't face tomorrow. Don't do that. Stay focused on bearing fruit that remains. Make some 2 Timothy 2.2 disciples. Love the sweatshirts. Make some 2 Timothy 2.2 disciples, right? Find the people, right, that you can take what was taught to you among all these faithful witnesses and then grab them and invest that into them. These faithful people who will turn around and do the exact same thing. That's what you want to do. Spend your life. Waste your life. It won't be wasted. I mean, totally expend your life on furthering that endeavor. Be fruitful. Spend your time, your money, your energy on that. But, okay, so Matthew 25. In this parable, there's a great principle in this passage for you and I today over how God views the stewardship of his people. And we need biblical principles like this to inform and to motivate our stewardship. So this is why I've titled this Tips on Stewardship, Matthew 25. Okay, so here's what I pray will be the inspirational application. I really pray it'll be a, a heavy motivational application for you and I out of this passage for the believer today. 
uh, what we're seeing here in verse 1. Here's the picture. Jesus is traveled to a far country. Where is Jesus right now? He's in a far country. He's on the right hand of the Father, isn't he? So there he is in heaven in Mount Zion at the right, the right hand of the Father. And in the meantime, he's a tr- he has trusted us completely. He's trusted his affairs to his servants. And you and I, we've been gifted. We've been entrusted. We've been talented. <laughs> we've been given the goods. That's what we're seeing here in verse 1. We've been given this investment, and we're to carry it out in a way to multiply the investment that Christ made in us, to see that investment multiply Christ's kingdom. Okay, what did, what did, what, what's the biggest deposit that Christ made in our life? I don't know about you, but, man, the fact that Jesus can indwell my heart by faith blows I mean, okay, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God, and then you find out everything that was made, it was made by Him. It's by Him that all things consist. It's in Him that we live and move and have our being. I mean, it's His thought process that keeps the molecules, the, the atoms, the quarks of physical reality in place. Okay, He is all-powerful. He is absolutely the ultimate, infinite entity. And he dwells in my heart by faith. I don't know how I stay together. Like, I don't even, I don't even get that. I just, like, at any moment, I, I feel like I should just, like, blow apart. <laughs> like, that's, I, I don't know how that works. I'm just. Okay, what, 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 what investment did he make? He spent everything. He gave his life to buy me back from my sin. And to have the, the deposit of the eternal life of Christ made with me, I mean made in me, made in my life. Okay, that deposit needs to multiply, doesn't it? That investment needs to multiply God's kingdom. Okay, so that's the way I want us to be thinking. So all of these talents, okay, so let's look down in verse 15. And to one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one. What's he doing? To every man according to his several ability. And straightway, took his journey. Okay, so these gifts are given to be invested for the Lord's profit. The, the, the investment that God's made in our lives, we don't get to take that and use it as we consider best or what we think we should be doing with it. Uh, God is not investing in us for us to serve ourselves. We don't get to invest our life for ourselves or for our glory. It has to be for him and for the multiplying of his kingdom. Okay, but notice that the Lord is entrusting according to individual abilities. Uh, you know, one guy got five, another got two. One got one. It was based on their capacity to make an investment. Now, before you get, you know, it's like, boy, I sure hope I'm a five-talent person. Just remember the economy that the Lord works with. Okay, so you got people giving, and a little old widow comes up, and she casts in her two mites. Those two little pennies, you know, those two little coins go in. And, and what was Jesus' attitude? I mean, she didn't have a lot of capacity, did she? She had very little capacity. She was, you know, and, and, and if you line it up with this parable, she's a one-talent kind of gal. Well, she's not even that. Okay, a talent's a lot. Before you think this guy got ripped off, he got entrusted with, I mean, some reckonings are like, this is 75 pounds of goods, okay? He's, got, he's been given the goods. So, 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 so it's not like he's a, he's a loser, and he has no hope, okay? 
Jesus' attitude of this widow was she gave more than everybody else. You know, a little with the Lord is everything, isn't it? Uh, I, I, man, I, a, a, a little with the Lord, a small beginning with the Lord, I, I think that's everything. Okay, it's, it's according to the ability. So God entrusts to you what you can use for his glory. So trust him in that. Trust him in how he made you, how he wired you, how he gifted you. You were designed and you were made to matter for God's kingdom. So get full of faith and believe him for that. You say, oh, I have a disability. So what? You say, well, you know, I got low IQ. Man, I mean, can you read and understand your Bible? If you know something, you can say something. And that can change somebody's life. You were designed and made to matter for God's kingdom. So don't be weak in faith. Believe him in that. Step out and engage for God's kingdom. You see, if you look down in uh, verse 16, uh, he that received the five talents went. He got full of faith. He traded with the same and made them other five talents. The guy that got two, he did the same thing. He gained another two. So you want to get full of faith Step out and engage for God's kingdom. Okay, let's stake out another data point on this parable because it's going to help us keep our kingdom straight, all right? So keep your kingdom straight. That's your next blank. Let me give you some homework. You're going to see a similar or a parallel, uh, there's a tongue twister. You're going to see a parallel parable. Say that five times real fast. Parallel parable. Parallel parable, parallel parable. Okay, there's a parallel parable in Luke chapter 19. And instead of talking about it in terms of the kingdom of heaven, it's described, right, as it it, it describes the kingdom of God. And that's kind of cool. You see these parallel parables. One has a kingdom of heaven focus. One has a kingdom of God focus. And it sure looks like the same story. That's so cool because at the point of the first and second advents, the first and second comings of Christ, well, both kingdoms are in view, and, and for the people in that kingdom moment, well, both kingdoms have to be received. See, historically, people want a physical kingdom. I mean, can I... Can I can I pick on Kenneth Copeland? I don't know. I just, <laughs> I, people, want a, people want a physical kingdom, y'all. I mean, that's what they want. Uh, they want to be rich and increase with goods. They want, a, they want a physical kingdom from God without a right relationship with him. They want a kingdom of heaven lifestyle without a kingdom of God relationship. Hello, somebody. The kingdom of God, that's everything. That's got to be accepted. That's why Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, I mean, he is, here is the king laying out the terms for his kingdom. And what does he say in Matthew chapter 6? Seek ye first the kingdom of what? God. Uh, why? Because you're going to have no other gods before me. That's his attitude. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and, the, and, and his righteousness. You want him in a right relationship with him. That's what matters. And then the kingdom of heaven stuff will be added to you. Do you see that in Matthew 6? Kingdom of God comes first, his righteousness, and then the kingdom of heaven resources, what you need, that list in Matthew chapter 6 of all the things that are necessary for life. Well, God will take care of that. Luke chapter 17 verse 21 tells us that the kingdom of God is within you. Romans 14 verse 17 says, the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness 
and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. Okay, so I've got a chart for you. I'm pretty sure I stole this from Alan Shelby. Uh, this would be back in the day when I probably wasn't taking super careful notes, but I'm, I'm going to just, I'm going to credit Alan Shelby with this chart. Uh, is Alan in the room? Where's Alan? Alan, do you recognize this chart? <laughs> I think it's your chart. It's what? It's what? Man, I'm sorry I offended you. <laughs> Please forgive me. Was he gonna was he gonna was he gonna give you one of his secondhand jets or something? <laughs> I'm pretty sure I stole this from Alan. And so let's look at these parallel parables. In Matthew 25, verse 14, very clearly this illustrates the kingdom of heaven, kingdom of heaven economy. Well, in Luke 19, again, this is your homework. We'll, we'll, we'll compare from Luke 19 throughout the night, but, but I'm going to leave it to you to lay them up side by side and, and make the comparison. But it's, it's illustrating the kingdom of God, where Matthew, Matthew's account is focused on the joy of the Lord. In Luke's account, you're going to see the joy of the servant, uh, joy in service. In Matthew 25, noticed that the talents, it's a Jewish measure that's being described. But in Luke's account, it's an English measure. I mean, I just think that's very interesting. So there's, a, there's an automatic Gentile focus there, isn't there? Uh, different amounts in Matthew 25 based on ability. Well, in Luke 19, it's the same amounts. And the issue is over how those amounts were invested. And if improperly there is loss, Okay, there's the loss of those things, but, but uh, it's really in Luke 19, it's about who's going to rule what, where, right? In Matthew 25, here's the kicker though. Here's a guy who does not endure to the end. He loses his salvation. In Luke 19, again, English measurement, Gentile focus. He's not losing salvation. He loses reward. Do you see the picture? Uh, don't miss that parallel, so Matthew's showing the tribulation and the kingdom of heaven focus where somebody loses their, their salvation. But, but Luke is illustrating a kingdom of God focus. Nobody goes to hell, but there's a judgment seat and there's loss. And so you might be saying, you might be saying to yourself, well, why didn't you preach this message from Luke? Since, you know, it, it have a kingdom of God focus. Well, I didn't want anybody getting messed up in Matthew, so that's why I did it. So there you go. Point number two. The Lord's servants now are to get to work. Verse 16, then he that had received the five talents went and traded with the same and made them other five talents. I mean, he, he doubled. He multiplied the investment. And likewise, he that had received two, he, gained, he also gained other two. So their attitude was, my master has me on a mission. So they had their mind on the mission and the mission on their mind and they got to work. Right? That's what they did. So their attitude was giddy up, let's get to it. But he that received one went and digged in the earth and hid his Lord's money. So get this down in your notes. Beware, fear kills faith. Fear kills faith. He received the one and his solution to this entrustment 
this investment in his life is go hide it. He went and digged in the earth and hid his Lord's money. So where did the idea of withdrawing and hiding, where did the idea of bugging out come from? I mean, where, where, where did he get that? Romans 8.15 tells us, you've not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. And I think I read in Luke that you can ask, for, you can ask him for a blessing, and he won't give you a scorpion. <laughs> He'll give you a blessing. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7 says, God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. I mean, where did the idea of withdrawing or hiding when the Lord's entrusted you, he's made an investment in you, in your life, he's made this investment, I mean, and, this, and the answer is, run, hide. Where'd that come from? I think it came from the wrong spirit, that's what I think. It's, it's some spirit of bondage, some spirit of fear, and he listened to the wrong spirit. He, he took the wrong word seriously, didn't he? Brothers and sisters, don't let fear kill your faith. Don't let some lying, deceiving spirit tell you that you cannot be used of God for his glory to rock this city for the glory of Christ. And from this city... Rock this nation for the glory of Christ. And so help you, God, by his grace, from Cartersville, rock the nations for the glory of God. I mean, the King of kings and the Lord of lords entrusted an incredible treasure to you. And that treasure is to be reinvested. It's to multiply to the glory of his kingdom. Well, I, I think we should just agree with God and step out in faith. Well, I, pastor, what I do? I mean, sometimes I'm afraid. Can I remind you of Psalms 56, verse 3? What time I am afraid, I will trust in thee. Uh, that's, where we, that's the verse that we give to our children, isn't it? I bet you every Baptist church on the planet, at some point in the children's ministry, the kids will memorize Psalms 56, verse 3. What time I am afraid, I will trust in thee. Keep going, man. Verse 4. In God will I praise his word. In God I have put my trust. I will not fear what flesh can do unto me. If a little kid, right, if a little kid can trust God with this for the monsters under his bed, hello somebody, you can trust this, right? You can trust the scripture, the word of Christ, for trading on the deposit of the gospel in your life. What time I'm afraid. I'm not going to listen to my fears. I'm not going to listen to the spirit of bondage again to fear. I'm not going to listen to that spirit of fear. My dad has me on a mission, and he's the biggest. I love this. Uh, I was here last year doing a men's conference uh, out of, uh, out of uh, uh, Jay was right. Oh, yeah, I was with Jay, Jay's church, and, and there was, was five churches came together, right? Seth's pastor in Five Points Church. S disclaimer, Seth's not a Calvinist. It's just the name of the area. <laughs> and uh, you, you all probably knew that. Okay, so, and, uh, and uh, there was a... Uh, we had a meal at uh, Joe McCaig's house, wasn't it? And Seth came over and he had his, his son with him. He had two of his kids with him, if I remember right. And, and the older one, I'm talking to him. And, and I remember what we were talking about, but I was feeling ornery and I was messing with him. And this kid, Seth's kid, is just bold as brass. And he's just handing it right back to me. And I kind of looked at him and I said, man, you're not scared of me at all, are you? And he looked at me and he's like, have you seen my dad? Where's Seth? Is Seth in the room? Seth, can you just stand up? Stand up real, real quick. 
Yeah, he just keeps going up, right? I mean, <laughs> he's, like, he's like, bro, come on. Have you seen my dad? No, I'm not scared of you. <laughs> uh, okay, teachable moment. Have you seen my dad? I mean, whatever a spirit of fear or a spirit of bondage is selling, my dad's bigger than your dad. And when it comes time for tail whipping, I, I kind of know how this is going to come out. I've read, I mean, I've read the book. I know how this is going to work. What time I am afraid, I'm just going to trust God. I'm going to take him at his word. I'm going to put my trust in him. I'm not going to fear what some, what some servant of a spirit of fear or bondage can do to me. Okay, so I, want, I just want to point out one more thing here in this text in Matthew 25. Notice that in this parable, God's focus in this text is really on the one that has the least. Why? Well, because whatever is given is to be used for the work expected. And you may be a one-talent kind of steward, right? You may be a one-talent capacity servant. Whoop-de-doo. You can take that talent. You can take what is invested in your life, and you can see it multiplied for the glory of God. So God's, God's eye is on you. His focus is on you. He did not miss the widow at the box, did he? Okay, so whatever's given, right, it's to be used for the work expected. God knows what you have, so Christ's deposit in you must multiply. So here's the warning. There's always an assessment for the steward. Assessment is your next blank. Verse 19, after a long time, the Lord of those servants cometh and reckoneth with them. And so he had... And so he that had received five talents came and brought five other talents, saying, Lord, thou deliverest unto me five talents. Behold, I have gained beside them five talents more. And you know he was grinning. I mean, he was grinning like a possum eating bumblebees. He was grinning like a Sheshire cat. I mean, this guy was just like, look what happened. What you gave me has doubled, and I get to give it to you. His Lord said unto him, well done, a good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful, look at this, over a few things. Uh, just get the, like, at whatever point you think you're a big deal, check yourself before you wreck yourself. I mean, God's perspective on you is, is I just entrusted to you just a few things. Come on. <laughs> like, it's not, you weren't that big capacity a deal, right? You weren't that big a deal. Uh, you, know, you were faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. He also that had received two talents came and said, Lord, thou deliverest unto me two talents. Behold, I have gained two other talents beside them. And his Lord said unto him, well, well done, good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things, and I will make thee ruler over how many? Compare the two-talent steward to the five-talent steward. How many things were the five-talent steward put over? How many? Many. Well, what about the two-talent steward? What was his? I've got to find it again. Oh, that was, yeah, oh, yeah it's many. That's, that's kind of cool. You doubled the investment I made in you. Can you lead someone to Christ? Can you double the investment that God made in your life? Can you make one disciple?
I've gained the two other talents beside them. His Lord said unto him, well done, good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. Okay, so don't miss the parallel here to the judgment seat of Christ. If fruit remains, that results in reward, right? Um, I think there's blanks for that in your notes. Okay, so what's our crown of rejoicing at the judgment seat of Christ? Well, Paul told his disciples at Thessalonica what it was. 1 Thessalonians 2.19 says, For what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Are not even ye in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? Man, get your second Timothy 2.2 on. Take the investment that God made in your life and second Timothy 2 to it. The things that you've received among many faithful witnesses, the same. That deposit, what God has deposited and entrusted into your life, the same, right? You invest it now and you commit it to faithful disciples who will go and, treat and teach others also. It's the investment of the word of God into the people of God. So get this down in your notes. Christ's investment in us must be multiplied by our investment in others. What Christ has invested in you, you have a responsibility to take and to invest in the hearts and lives of others. And this work will be revealed at the judgment seat of Christ. And it will be like you were attached to the vine and found a faithful servant, or it'll be like, it'll be like you were never there. So inspirationally, our talents traded are going to be the, I mean, just check out 1 Corinthians 3. They will be the good works. Every work, remember, is tried of what sort it is. And if it has eternal value, it's just refined by that fire. But if it's temporal, if it's fleshly focused, if it's got an earthly, if it's an, if it's an earthly investment, that wood, that hay, that stubble, it's all consumed. It's if it was never there. And the wood, the hay, and the stubble represents a lot of work. Okay, I've got a lot of wood, hay, and stubble in my, in my back trail, right? There's a lot of wood, hay, and stubble that I've invested my life in. Got a lot of sweat equity into wood, hay, and stubble. And it'll be like I never did any of it. It'll all be gone, okay? But the, the things of eternal value where I took the relationship that I have with God and the word of God and that investment into the lives of people, that just gets refined. Or not even you, Paul says, my crown of rejoicing at the judgment seat of Christ. So that work's going to get revealed one way or another. There's not going to be commendations for how much money you had in the bank or how big, how big a deal you were at your job, that kind of thing. No, the Lord is going to check out our faithfulness to his mission. You know, preachers love to preach to big crowds, but is the preacher faithful in helping one addict, preaching the gospel to one soul, Right? Because that's just as big a deal. Are you faithful in your witness? Are you faithful in your service to your local church? Are you a part of a people that are working to win souls and make disciples? You can work in the nursery at this church and, and changing diapers and, and wiping snotty noses. Helps. It contributes to seeing souls saved, disciples made, Right? Ministry leaders trained and ministry multiplying. You say, how does it do that? I'll tell you what. A new couple coming to Christ, if they're worried about their baby, they're not focused on the word of God. And if at the same time you can be strategic and that little baby is learning the things of God while mom and dad are learning the things of God, well, you've just doubled the investment. Right? I mean, children's... I, I was born again at 12 years of age. 
And I was pretty sure I was going to go get rich, and I was going to make a lot of money, and I was going to live a really wonderful lifestyle with all kinds of toys. That's what I was convinced of. Um, well, after, after I gave my life to Christ at 12 years of age, it didn't matter what I wanted <laughs> at that point. My point is it's strategic. You want to get those kids before the concrete sets. Uh, what an incredible investment. Wipe that nose, make full proof of that snotty nose wiping. I mean, do it with all, of, do it heartily as unto the Lord because man, mom and dad are setting under the, the, the counsel, the preaching and the teaching of God's word and it's changing their life. Like you can start there and have that be fruit that abounds at the judgment seat of Christ. Do you see that? Uh, be a part of that. Now, you're not going to just do only that. You're going to get trained as, a, as an able minister yourself in your own right. Are you faithful in your service to your local church? David, long before he ever ruled Israel, he was ruling sheep. Most people would look at that and say, Whoop, did he, well, how, what, what do you think made him a good king? And your ability to make sure that that baby's nose is spotless, right, is what's going to make you a good discipler. He was a faithful shepherd before he was killing Goliath. Got to start somewhere. Verse 24, fear is always the path to failure. Then he, which had received the one talent, came and said, Lord, I knew thee that thou art an hard man, reaping where thou hast not sown and gathering where thou hast not strawed. And I was afraid. And I went and hid thy talent in the earth. There thou hast that is thine. His Lord answered and said unto him, Thou wicked and slothful servant, you faithless, lazy outfit. Thou wicked and slothful servant, thou knewest that I reap where I sowed not and gather where I have not strawed. Thou oughtest therefore to have put my money to the exchangers and then at my coming I would have received mine own with usury. Okay, if you compare that to Luke 19, can we put that up on the screen? Luke 19. Okay, so in Luke 19, notice the parallel Okay, uh, when the, 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 the fearful servant, the faithless servant says, Here, here's, what, here's what's yours, okay? Another came saying, Lord, here's what you invested in me and that's all. Behold, here's thy pound, which I have kept laid up in a napkin. For I feared thee because thou art an austere man, austere man and thou takest up that thou layest not down and reapest where thou didst not sow. And he said unto them, out of thine own mouth will I judge thee, thou wicked servant. Thou knewest that I was an austere man, taking up that I laid not down, and reaping what I did not sow. Wherefore then gavest not my money into the bank, that at my coming I might have required mine own with usury. So if the Lord's a hard man, why not get to work out of fear? Well, fear doesn't really work that way. Fear typically, whenever we talk about fear, we talk about people's reaction to it, we describe it as what? Fight or flight, you know? Um, some people freak out, other people hide. Fear typically paralyzes people. Again, Psalm 56, 3, what time I am afraid I will trust in thee. That's the decision you have to make up front. Because if you're, gonna, if you're going to endeavor to multiply Christ's kingdom, there's going to be pushback. This guy listened to a spirit of fear, and so he suffers loss. So let's talk about loss and reward. Let's pick it up again in Matthew 25, verse 28. Take therefore the talent from him and give it unto him which hath ten talents. For unto everyone that hath shall be given, and he shall have abundance. But from him that hath not shall be taken away, even that which he hath. 
and cast ye the unprofitable servant into outer darkness, there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. You want to, you wanna, if you weren't able to be here yesterday, you want to listen to Brett's session uh, from yesterday morning. And he talked about the danger in church of discipling evangelism out of our discipleship. And then he goes on to talk about, you know, you can also disciple discipleship out of your discipleship. Like you can build a church ministry philosophy where you're really just saving yourself from getting full of faith and endeavoring to see kingdom work multiply. So you can go through the motions and you can play at discipleship, you can play at biblical Christianity and just waste your life and get nothing done. Uh, it was very convicting. You wanna, you wanna listen to that. But here's a guy who loses what he has and his excuse for it, here's what he complains about. He's like, it's too much, it's too much pressure. Notice he's blaming the Lord for being a, a hard man, a, a, an austere man. Uh, he's blaming the Lord for his expectations. I mean, it's like nothing has ever changed from Genesis chapter 3. God, it's your fault. This woman, you gave me, this is what messed me. Like, I can't, I can't own it. So it's got to be God's fault. He never admits failure. So here's the key. The wicked servant used the Lord's return, his coming, as an excuse for inaction. I mean, he had a sweet bug out bag, but he had no fruit. So if you get to the judgment seat of Christ, and, and, if, and if one of the questions on the floor is, you know, what was your 20-year plan in multiplying my kingdom? If your answer was, as well, I was just thinking you'd come back and, and we'd just be in the millennium. Wicked unbelief and inaction. Now, remember where we're at in Matthew. We've got a kingdom of heaven focus. The Lord then punishes, the, you know, he's punishing this unprofitable steward, casting him into a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth in hell, verse 30. So here in this parable, this guy loses his salvation. Uh, this has got a tribulation context, again, dealing with the Jews, but we'll compare it with Matthew 19. And here the servant loses reward. I say unto you that everyone which hath shall be given, and from him that hath not, even that he hath shall be taken away from him. So the, here the servant loses reward. Those who are faithful in that which is least, you were faithful in a few things, what is he going to do? I'll make you ruler over many things, right? They're entrusted with more. Fearful and failed, Hiding, right, in action in light of Christ's return, well, then that's loss. And so for the believer, it's the loss of reward. And again, 1 Corinthians 3, every man's work shall be made manifest for the day, the judgment seat of Christ, right? The day shall declare it because it shall be revealed by fire. And the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. And if any man's work abide, which he hath built thereon, thereupon, he shall receive a reward. And if any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss but he himself shall be what? Saved, yet so as by fire. The problem here is here's someone who has this deposit made, but it was like they were never connected to the vine. It was like they were never selected to serve in the first place. There's no proof that they were a steward. There's no reward. And so just in the few minutes that I have left, it looks like two. Can I just make a couple comments? Focus on being a faithful servant. 1 Corinthians chapter 4 says, Let a man so account of us as the ministers of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. That's required. 
of us. So what has God entrusted to us? Well, he's entrusted the great commission to us, Matthew 28, 18 through 20. 2 Timothy 2, verses 1 through 2, we are to win souls, make disciples, and equip them to go and do the same. So be satisfied with nothing less than being a functional biblical church. Don't be satisfied with anything less than that. That means a willingness to get full of faith, to engage and start trading, to start making the investment, to work, to make, and to send. You want to listen to Eric's session from this morning. It was outstanding. Invest your life, the deposit that Christ made in your life. Get full of faith. You know, sending hurts, man. Local churches, we got to be kingdom-minded. Um, we, uh, when it came time, we commissioned two churches, one in Tampa and one across town. And we did the math on that, and we're like, it's going to cost a lot in tithers. It's going to cost a lot in terms of heart relationship. These are the people that we love dearly. And I was prepping our church for, for nine months of postpartum depression. We're going we're gonna to birth some babies, and it's going to be wonderful, and it's going to be horrible all at the same time. These people that we love, we're just going to go through spiritual postpartum, and it's okay. That's just part of the spiritual process of life, and, and God's going to get us through. And, and we may be tightening our belts, but the kingdom's worth it, right? We may be adjusting our budget. The kingdom is worth it. And what happened was is we, got, we, sent, we sent Dan and his crew out, and we commissioned Mark and his crew, and, and, uh, and then we were so busy, we couldn't even see straight. And, uh, and it was two months before I could look at any of the numbers. And when I looked at the numbers, all of the money that we claimed we were losing in sending people out, that was replaced. We were trending double what we thought we were going to lose. And all of the people that we lost. We didn't have time for spiritual postpartum depression. There were too many other babies coming in. Our attendance, right? Our attendance was already over what we lost in sending people out. And you'll hear people talk about this. You can't outgive God. Well, it, experientially, apparently that's true, right? You've seen it in your obedience to give in tithes and offerings and, and sacrifice. Hasn't God been faithful to support that faith? Well, the same thing's true for churches. That means you got to have a willingness to trade. You got to be willing to catch, train, and release. So the local church has to have that mentality. How's God going to bless a group that cares only about the things that they can receive for themselves versus give for God's kingdom? So you want to check out Brandon's session this morning. You got to give ministry away. You got to train people up, and then you got to give those ministers away to see kingdom, kingdom agenda, kingdom work multiplied in another place. Too many churches have a Genesis chapter 11 ministry mindset. Let's build a tower. We're going to build some great, awesome country club so that all of the Christians in our community will, right, let's, let's keep the people from scattering. Let's make a name for ourselves. If we can get enough people coming and enough hype, get enough, get the right hype man, and pretty soon we get published on a national scale, and big deal. Being a faithful steward is key. Those are the people that God entrusts with more. The 10-talent servant ends up with 11. Hello, somebody. See, God adds to functional churches. Have you ever read Acts chapter 2, verse 47? Uh, man, they were all about it. They were all about the kingdom. They were Matthew 28 in it. They were 2 Timothy 2, 2 in it. And God added to the church daily such as should be saved. That was a church God could bless. So be the people, right? Be the faithful people that God can bless with more. Well, I don't know if we can afford to do that. You can't afford not to do that. 
You know, God could bless Joseph and all that he did because all that he did was to God's glory. Joseph was faithful in a few things. God set him over everything. He was faithful in Potiphar's house. He was faithful in the jail. And so he was faithful over Egypt and over his brethren because God could trust him. Genesis 49, 22 says, Joseph is a fruitful bough, even a fruitful bough by a well, whose branches run over the wall. Man, his influence just spreads. He didn't get stuck in wicked unbelief. He was faithful. And surprise, surprise, he was fruitful. So what about Oakland Heights? Right? Faithful or fearful? Stewards or service attenders? Full of faith or failed? Well, I, 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 man, I know your pastor. I know the agenda. It's to get full of faith and to be a soul-winning, disciple-making, leadership-equipping church for the glory of God. Are you a part of that? And so James... Bro, I'm going to get out of your way. Thanks for your time, guys. We hope this message was a blessing to you. If you're interested in learning more about the Living Faith Fellowship, visit lffellowship.com. God bless.